Hello, Agnes. Hi, Robin. <laughs> what should we talk about today? Well, somebody on Twitter asked us to talk about sarcasm. So I'm going to start with a disclaimer. I think that you and I are very unsarcastic people, and we have not thought a lot about sarcasm, don't have any theories of it. We're just going off the top of our heads. So listen at your own risk. Um, okay. We're not so practiced at it. We certainly hear it from other people. Right. But we also, we're not only not practiced at it, we're also, um, uh, we also haven't thought much about it. So uh, we may not right. be very interested. Now, what, one thought I've, I've noticed is just that sometimes people are tempted to accuse me or other people of hidden motives or hidden agendas in our conversation. And then I feel like the less often I ever use a sarcastic mode, maybe the more I could claim that I wasn't doing it in any one case, uh, because if you are sarcastic more often, then more often people could attribute sarcasm to any one thing you say. And then the more they're able to interpret what you said in other ways than you may have intended. And so if you're trying to be defensive against accusations of, you know, hidden, you know, bad hidden intentions of what you say, staying away from sarcasm is a safe approach. And I think that fits with this larger theme that often sort of people in power or elites or who are accepted are just allowed a wider range of humor and expression. And people who have to play it safe are often having to be defensive and formal and sort of neutral. And then they're often accused of just being humorless and not very, you know, lively because, uh, they are, be you know, being defensive by being neutral and uh, trying to avoid things like sarcasm and humor. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how well that fits because I think you are like I, I often when there's like the stuff that the elites are allowed to do, the lucky elites, I'm in that category of the lucky elites that get to do stuff. But I don't think that I I'm not I'm just not very inclined towards sarcasm. So maybe I could do it if I wanted to, but I'm not inclined to talk in that way. And I think that you are a little bit inclined to talk in that way, actually. Um so one thing that's interesting, I was just talking uh, about this, is that many people, I think, would prefer not to be sarcastic. That is, I think that if you did a serving, you were like, do you wish you were less sarcastic than you are? Quite a few people, maybe you among them, you're not very sarcastic, but I'm just saying you are a little bit. And uh, and maybe your own preference would be just to not be sarcastic at all. But it actually seems a little hard to control. Um, that is, we're a little bit inclined to be sarcastic. And so what, what does that come from? Maybe you can introspect first personally. So I'll, I mean, I'll give you an example. Like recently I was looking for it. You had a blog post where you were like, you sarcastically said something about like people who are like real communism has never been tried or something, you know? Um, uh, but it was like, a, it was like a, a dismissive sarcastic right. version right. of that thought. Um, it wasn't like, well, that seems like an implausible claim. Here's why. It was like, oh, sure. Right. The sarcastic version of right. it. So there's you sort of maybe against your own will being sarcastic. So that's happening. And so the question is like, why are you drawn, however rarely, to being sarcastic? Why does that happen? So I'm tempted to frame it in terms of conflict. That is, sarcasm is a kind of conflict. It's an expression of a conflict in some way. And so, you know, to say you were in a car, being sarcastic would be to admit you're in some sort of a situation of conflict. Mm. And maybe ex ante we we want to seem as if we aren't seeking conflict. Uh, if conflict comes our way, we may feel, you know, 
justified or obligated to respond, but we're not the sort of person who seeks out conflict. No, that's the sort of thing other people force on us. <laughs> but like, it seems to me that the sarcasm also creates the conflict in that yeah. you could just say, um, here's why this view is incorrect, right? Instead of dismissing it sarcastically, it seems to me that the sarcastic response is partly like, you don't even respect the view enough to sort of engage directly. There's something indirect right. about sarcasm, right? And disrespectful. I agree. But so that's a sense in which we often frame conflict in terms of they started it and then what we're entitled to do or perhaps even, you know, required to do in the face of they're starting a conflict. And if they start the conflict and they're disrespectful, maybe we will feel it's okay for us to also respond with something conflictual and disrespectful. And but uh -huh. then we always want to blame them to have sort of done it first. Uh. Okay, so it's like um, it's like a kind of revenge. Yeah. Um, where in because off sarcasm tends to involve humor, right? Right. Um, that is, it tends to be eliciting a humorous reaction, a, a, a haven't been humored reaction right. from the audience. Right. So so think of a a you know high school cafeteria where a food fight starts mm -hmm. right now if nobody was doing anything and you just suddenly threw you know some food at somebody that would be quite socially unacceptable uh, but if ever people was throwing food at you and and sam threw you know something at you you might feel entitled to throw back at him and it would be pretty funny we would all laugh at these various splats of food at people at least when it was other people uh, but it's still something we wouldn't want to claim to have started. We didn't start the food fight, but we might feel it's okay to to continue it at least in some form. So you think that the humor somehow indicates that you didn't start it? No, no, no. I just meant that often, you know, we like to fight with humor. That is, if we're going to fight, doing it in a way that look it's entertaining and funny, so it takes the edge off a bit. And, and in fact, we often use humor as a way to fight, that is, we often use the, the pretense of humor. I was just joking, can't you take a joke in order to sort of kind of poke at people in uh, allowed ways. So, right. So maybe it's like there's um, what sarcasm allows you to do is to fight with someone, but also to claim that you're not taking that seriously and entertaining people with it. That is, you know, well, you entertaining. Would involved with not taking it seriously because if something is not serious it's supposed to be entertaining right but i think there's two effects there one is it's it's more okay to fight if it's not serious as you sort of a play fighting and the other thing is more okay to fight if you're doing it as a show to entertain others Boom. right i mean right yeah somehow like the thought that other people are gonna laugh at this sort of validates it um, like right. sarcasm can fall flat when the group is like, that's just not funny. Right. Uh, and so in some way, the group that's the audience needs to kind of affirm that it's play by laughing at it. Right. In fact, that, I mean, that seems powerful out of, I'm going to make a little fight move. What I want is an immediate validation of that from the audience and, and making it humorous so that they laugh would be a, an easy, straightforward way to do that. Okay, so that's like, so that's then it's more complicated, right? Because it's like, in addition to disavowing the seriousness of the fight, you're also getting allies at the same time. I'm not fighting, but we're all going to get this guy. 
Right. Or, or this is an acceptable teasing among, you know, where we're allowed to do some level of teasing and this level is allowed and I'm going to get the validation that other people say, yeah, that's allowed teasing. Right. So being able to entertain other people is sort of the price for having a judgment of this is acceptable. You're allowed to disrespect someone in this way. Yes. And we certainly seem like among comics say there are whether we allow them to talk about sensitive subjects or even offensive subjects depends on how just skilled they are right. at being comics. Right. Can they sell it? Yeah. Right. So, so, but like the, in a way the question is, okay, but so the fundamental phenomenon is like a form of conflict that is not overt um, or a form of conflict that is itself disavowed. What's this about as serious or illicit, I guess? Yeah, but like, like clearly to disavow it as serious is somewhat to downplay its character as a conflict, right? Or, or as a conflict that would justify escalation on their part or something. I mean. Right. Right. And so, and so is it just like, well, it's like a free hit? I think so. That that is, I, I do think that within the space of jocular humor, we're allowed a certain range of free hits as long as there's, you know, taken lightly and in humor and done well. Uh, we're just kind of allowed to throw a little bit of mud at each other in that way. And like, What's the value of doing that? That is, what's the, what's the attraction of throwing a hit at someone? You know, I mean, I get what the attraction is of them not being able to hit you back. Right. But what do you get out of that? So, um, in, in Age of M and in some blog posts a long time ago, I, I discuss swearing and the functionality of swearing. And so I say that in small work groups, which are sort of pushed to the edge of their capacity, they really need to judge each other's sort of how close to the edge of cracking are they and their sort of emotional tone and, and whether they can handle it. And so in that context, swearing and joshing and teasing are functional uh, because you're, so for example, in such work groups, typically someone's nickname will be their most embarrassing feature, you know, shorty for someone tall or, you know, whatever, or short or whatever that is. And that's part of the acceptable teasing such that, you know, when you've had enough, they tease you about this and that and the other thing, and you're on the edge, but you crack a bit and you go, you know, and, and that's, we, that's just the thing, how people behave, right? They, you give enough little teases and enough little cuts while they're stressed and tired, they often just retaliate a bit and you can use that to judge who's how close to the edge. And that's important in a work group that just has to keep people near the edge of what they can handle and keep it going. And so at least in smaller work groups, it's functional to tease and a bit insult and use swear words that push people. So I think you and I both watched um, The Bear. Yeah, I was just recently. Thinking. And that you know displays that typical scenario, people pushed to the edge needing to deal with each other and often sort of reaching the edge of their emotional limits and expressing that and other, but other people sort of judging that, knowing when to back off or when not. 
Yeah, but I think it's so different from sarcasm. So, like, hey, let me give an example from the bear. So, you remember that woman? I can't remember the names of the characters, but the woman chef who's been with the restaurant for a while, right? right. The hair, right? And, and she uh, she calls the main character Jeff. You notice that she calls him Jeff, right? His name isn't Jeff, um, but uh, she calls him Jeff. I think because he insists that everybody call everybody else chef, and she is wow. Right. You know, deliberately mispronouncing it and calling him Jeff. Right. Uh, well, it's kind of, that's a bit like sarcasm. Yeah, it is a bit. So that's it is a bit right, but it's partly so. Partly what she's sort of conveying there is, I think it's a bit absurd in this like you know um, Chicago sandwich restaurant that you're making us all adopt this formality of we call each other chef. Um, but and I'm I'm going to make fun of you for that, but also I kind of accept it and right. I get that that's what we're doing and I'm not going to be an open rebellion against it. So there's a way in which what teasing does is it it sort of recaptures the unity of the group after the conflict. And I think sarcasm doesn't do that. Like in in the blog post that I was describing where you were like, um, oh, how ridiculous these socialists are. You were like, but in the end, we're all friends. Right. It was like, no, we're not friends. They're my enemies. That was the sense that one got. And in, in these groups, the in the end, we're all friends. So I accept that observation as you know there's a space of things like sarcasm but maybe sarcasm isn't well represented by the function of these other things sarcasm is a bit different so let me um refer to the famous uh mike lewis quote the philosopher very famous philosopher i cannot refute an incredulous stare which philosopher is this it isn't it uh lewis david yes oh you said mike lewis sorry david oh, like Refute an incredulous <laughs> Okay, I've not heard that quote of his, but okay, but it, it's referring to the fact that I mean, I often come across this because I'm often overlapping with contrarian groups who have contrarian theses, and quite often, the way other people react to a contrarian thesis is by dismissal, and sarcasm and humor is often a way to express the dismissal. That is, people are often looking around the social group by saying, "Do I have to take this seriously, or is it okay if we just?" laugh about this and basically agree this is not seriously serious enough good enough to be worth engaging and sarcasm can be like a probing at the edge of that yeah so uh that my initial take on sarcasm was just when you want to dismiss a view but you don't have an argument against it right so that that that's useful <clears throat> um well so i've I mean, I would refine it as you don't want to go to the arguments against. I mean, maybe you have them. You just don't want to go there. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you do or don't have arguments against, but you'd rather just pick a different way to react to this thing. And, right. Or maybe you think it's not worth arguing with. Right. Or you, know, would, you wouldn't want to give it the respect of taking it seriously. Right. So it's like you can't refute an the reason you can't refute an incredulous stare is because the person who gives you the incredulous stare has already decided that you're not worth talking to. That's what the incredulous stare is. Right. And his point is you haven't offered me an argument. You've just made this other move to uh, decide that this is silly or you know, not worth engaging. Right. Just the fact that you haven't offered me an argument seems to me not sufficient. You can refute someone who has an right. argument if you can like get them to talk to you, right? But it seems that the incredulous stare is scare stare is worse than someone not having offered you an argument. It's someone who right. says, I have it and I won't. I'm not right. going to, right? I, I don't I don't intend to at least. That's that's right. my move. 
So you can't, the idea would be you can't refute someone who has declared that they think you're not worth engaging with, which seems false to me as a claim, because of course you could change their mind. So you maybe could write You just can't refute them if you take seriously the commitment implied in the incredulous stare, which you probably shouldn't in many cases. So this does highlight, in a sense, a danger of sarcasm and humor more generally. It's this powerful ability to close off arguments or discussion. And, and it, you know, what are people's willingness to accept such moves depends on the ability of the person making sarcasm. So a poor, awkward piece of sarcasm wouldn't necessarily function to close off the conversation, but an especially witty, clever one might. And that's a power that witty, clever people have to close off conversations. Right. I mean, that seems true. I mean, it just seems like witty, clever people have a lot of powers when it comes to conversation. Sure. In the first instance, getting anywhere to want to talk to them. Like, if you're just dull and boring, nobody will ever want to talk to you. And that's like a power that you lack, right? Right. So, uh, so, but it, but yeah. it might be interesting that notice there, there is a set of exceptional sarcasms that are the ones that you invoke to prevent people from cutting off your conversation. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. So that's like revenge-driven. Right, exactly. So I was thinking like the, the um, I guess, when people say, uh, you know, when I get new information, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? You know, as a way to, you know, re rebut somebody's trying to dismiss you for having apparently changed your mind. But. Right. I mean. I don't see that as more legitimate than any other kind of sarcasm. Like, maybe there's something better you could do with getting a new information besides changing your mind. For me, I often don't change my mind when I get information. I often stick to what I thought before because, like, what if this right. is lying to me? You know, and maybe I have a reason to stick to the thing I thought before. Sometimes I, like, right. like, like, like Odysseus in the Sirens, I would tie myself down to my previous view and say, no matter what else you find out, just stick to this. Sometimes that's the way to go. So... Um, sarcastically dismissing that possibility seems unfair in that case as in any other. Right. And sometimes people might dismiss something on the basis of authority, and then people will sarcastically say, you know, authority hasn't been very reliable, but they will say in a sarcastic way, you know, oh, you would have believed, you know, these people about that, would you? Uh, so right. So, and sarcasm often seems more acceptable. People really like punching up, and they don't right. like punching down. And so... It's often more okay to use sarcasm against people in power because it seems okay to be mean to people who are powerful, I guess. Right. In some sense, we just hold higher people to stronger standards of argument or um, you know, reasoning or whatever, and we just allow lower people to just be sloppier or more unfair, if you will, in the kind of rhetorical moves they make. Right. I mean, this is almost like, um, uh, I don't know if it's holding the higher people to higher standards. It's like saying, well, their pain and humiliation doesn't count for anything. Um, uh, right. So, I mean, the aversion to sarcasm is on the one level, it's, it's hurting someone's feelings, presumably. And then it's about whose feelings are allowed to hurt. But it's also about sort of just dismissing the conversation or just moving out of some sort of you know, reasoning mode and into some sort of just fun taunting mode or something. Like um, the people that you're, you're not allowed to be sarcastic to children. Like to like talk right. something, that would be terrible. That would be perceived as 
I mean, except maybe if it was like children young enough to have no comprehension of it and then it was for the sake of an audience. People, actually parents sometimes do that with their kids. They sometimes speak sarcastically to their kids in a way that they're sure their kids won't understand, but as a mode of entertainment for the other adults. So maybe it's okay to be sarcastic to kids if you think they have no hope of understanding you. But I think once they like have a hope of understanding you, you're not supposed to be sarcastic to them. So there's there's some movies that I like a lot which show basically a teacher trying to manage an unruly class. And they show a lot of interesting social dynamics there. And they sort of show that the main function of school is, you know, to take socially unruly people and, you know, teach them to be manageable. And, you know, then the job of, job of a teacher in that situation is to manage this class. And so what often happens is students will use sarcasm as a way to express their unwillingness to defer to the authority of the teacher. You know, nobody's ever going to use this crap. Why are we learning this? Uh, you know, you don't know any more than anybody else. My uncle knows more than you. You know, things like that. And then the teacher... Uh, it's held to a higher standard. If they come back with the same sort of cuts, that would be seen as inappropriate. And I've often seen like cases where teachers were fired or something for like responding with sarcasm to children in the same degree that a child attacked the teacher with, mm-hmm. uh, because that's just not allowed. The teacher's held to a higher standard. But still, teachers often have to have a mild form of re- return sarcasm because like they often play this audience. And so, you know, like, just like with a comic, we'll deal with a heckler, sometimes by out-heckling the heckler and having a more funny heckler back at the heckler than it was given. But they have to be gentle with that because, again, there's this status difference. So the same with teachers. Teachers often have to come up with sort of a mild rebuttal to the heckler who makes the class laugh and reasserts the teacher's authority. It's sometime last year I taught a class of fifth graders and... Before I did it, the teacher was like, have you done this before? Do you have experience teaching kids? And I was so dismissive. I'm like, Hi, I'm a teacher and I have kids. Like, what's the problem? You know? <laughs> and whoa, like it was very different. I, I, I mean, about three minutes in, I was like in my head, I was saying, what's wrong with you people? Why aren't you behaving? It's my turn to talk. Like, be quiet. <laughs> you know, like stop moving and like, don't like what, like what's happening. I just wanted to like control them and be like, Right. All of you. And I had like no ability at all to do it. Like I just didn't know what to do to like make them be quiet and listen to me and make them like raise their hands and stuff. Like they were just right. behaved. Right. And it's like, this is all the preparatory work that has to be done on children before they get to me. Right. <laughs> college, And then they all like behave very nicely. Um, but so like, <laughs> like I didn't have any of that teacherly sarcasm to like put them down. I was just like looking at them and be like, can you stop talking? I just didn't know what else to say. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, so may, and maybe so maybe in some contexts, it's like a gentler form of violence or something. It's both both for the teacher, it can be a gentler form of violence than just saying, "Stop it." And for the student, it's a gentler form of violence than saying than actual overt disobedience, right? Like that's sort of like the case of Jeff, right. So, I mean, you could think of it as sparring of a certain sort. So, I mean, there are any classic scenes in which a fist fight breaks out, but beforehand they're doing verbal sparring, mm. right? And verbal sparring sort of setting up the situation for, I mean, often they might like, you know, verbal spar. typically verbal sparring is probably enough and they go away, but sometimes the verbal sparring isn't enough, but, you know, so you could see it as a, a sort of a pre-fight. Foreplay. Or fight, yes. <laughs> or fight. Or fight. 
Yeah, maybe that's what sarcasm is. Maybe it's for fighting. It's like a, a gentler form of fighting and a, a, a form that's, ex, you know, accepted as having less damage and that maybe... So, like, in animals and humans, actually, often the way two animals fight is first they'll do a display, which they're trying to show who's stronger, and then if one of them can just convince the other they're stronger, the other will just back down, and they don't actually have to fight. And you could think of verbal fighting as the same, you know, as in that reign. Well, if I could just win the verbal fight, then we don't have to do another fight. Uh, you know, you could acknowledge that, okay, I won the verbal fight, and the audience might say, basically convince you that I won the verbal fight, and then we don't have to fight. Right, and that corresponds to, like, maybe in some cases, you know, you're being sarcastic about something, but the person can sort of call you on it. Like, if somebody, like, in your blog post where... Um, you said something like, oh, yeah, well, the, I guess the real socialism has never been tried or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, it um, Like if someone had called you on it and been like, okay, what are your arguments? I think you probably would have just been like, oh, okay, that's fine. And I'll, I'll give you the arguments, right? So they could have, um, like you would have been willing right, to move in to let's take this question seriously and actually argue about it. But in a way, what you were saying was, look, we don't need to. We can just dismiss it, right? Um, you might be willing to like reorient and have the battle if you needed to. Right. Uh, but you're like warning anyone who approaches you, look, like if you do that, I'm probably going to like wipe the floor with you. So you probably want to want to stay away. But if someone does it, then you right. still have to fight, right? And, uh, and so maybe sarcasm like makes, it, it might make sense for people who are pretty sure they can win those fights. Or pretty sure that they can stay out of them, I guess. And maybe I'm not in either of those categories. Right. I think, I mean, a, you know, a play fight or a pre-fight um, can show us our personal relative abilities. can also just show the sympathies of the audience, right? So mm -hmm. with humor, we can just see who laughs how much at which side. And then we could both see, well, who is the audience supporting here? And in some sense, that's more acceptable as a way for the audience to weigh in, right? If I give an argument, the audience, like, what do they say? Ooh, or wah, ah. I mean, that's kind of awkward. the boat, but yeah. Right. But it's more natural just when you say a joke for everybody to laugh, and now you can just more easily measure the, you know, who, which side the audience is inclined toward, much more than with argument. An interesting thing about that is that with an audience, um, like, if you if your effect on the audience were that like twenty percent of the audience thought it was super funny and like eighty percent of the audience thought it wasn't funny and were annoyed at you, you'd still get like quite a bit of laughter, right? So it selects for the positive response. Um, Although people are allowed to say boo or all, you know, like, it's it's true, but like it it seems to me it takes a lot for people to say boo. And, and and laughter is a much more involuntary, like boo is like a ch thing you choose to say, whereas laughter is somewhat involuntary. And that seems important to me about sarcasm, that the response, insofar as you're doing it in front of a group, like the response that you're eliciting is an involuntary response. So there's an intermediate, interesting intermediate response, which is the groan. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The groan is like, that was not like, like a dad joke or something. Right. But it's still kind of accepting, right? I mean, groan. Just saying, yeah. not that great a joke, but okay for effort. We're going to permit it. Yeah, we're going to permit it. Arnold, my husband, has a dad joke handshake when my kids makes what he considers to be a dad joke. 
he'll like shake their hand um, as a sign both that like he accepts it and that it was a terrible joke. Right. Um, uh, but, it, you know, now I'm starting to rethink this joke issue because like most sarcasm isn't actually so funny that it makes you laugh. That is sarcasm. There's a lot of stuff that people say, I've learned this, especially when it's from online. I would tend to say something is funny if it makes me laugh. And there's like many things that make me laugh. In fact, just thinking about them right. already starts to make me laugh. But I agree. Say something is funny, they don't actually mean to make them laugh. And sarcasm doesn't tend to be, make people laugh, but they somehow think it's amusing anyway. So I think sarcasm is closer to exaggeration. And yeah. I, I think we can understand it maybe better as exaggeration. Mm. So what one way we often respond to somebody else's decision <laughs> is to make an exaggerated version of it or an exaggerated version of our argument and try to knock that down. And then, I mean, of course, it's, you know, widely understood, I guess, that, you know, that's knocking down the easy thing, a straw man. But there is this widespread tendency to try to pick straw mans to knock down. And in some sense, sarcasm, if it often is about an exaggerated version of something, basically, you know. Creating the straw man. Right. But... <laughs> I think there is an acceptance for that. I, I think there is a sort of a widespread taste for desire to say, this is getting complicated. Show me a simple version. Mm -hmm. Let me at least like think that one through. And so people are okay with like hearing the simple version of each side. Like, okay, what if we took your side to the worst extreme? What would that look like? And, you know, we're interested in that at least. So I think it's not entirely invalid, although it's also somewhat unfair in the sense Presumably the person isn't actually defending the most extreme version of it. Yeah. I mean, one of the questions that it raises for me is like, how fair do you have to be in arguing? Like uh, that word shows a whole lot. Like yeah. oh, the argument as though like argument were like some kind of a duel where we like agreed to the rules of dueling. Yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> okay. So you think that's I see, I, I don't much think that, um, think that there are such rules and that it's like, Take, take a view, right? Um, suppose someone has said P, right? But suppose I think I can say something interesting by distorting what they said into Q. I mean, I've said something interesting. Wasn't, the whole, wasn't that worth it? Well, is the point to entertain or the point to address their actual claim? So right. you might... The point is to learn something. Whether you address their claim or not, whether you entertain people or not. Why do you have to address their claim? Because you might... I think that's sort of the setup of the situation. Now, you, you can defy that setup of the situation. You might think, you know, you should just be more explicit about that. I did, you could say, yeah, you want to talk about A. I don't want to talk about A. I want to talk about B. Yeah, but uh, so this is my, this one, that's what this whole setup of situation thing just like seems made up. It's like somebody's telling me, somebody is like trying to pressure me into thinking that we're playing a certain game where I never agreed to be playing that game, but like here are the rules that we've all agreed to. Okay, so so say like, you know, two people are, like having an argument and I say, you want to fight? And he says, yeah, I want to fight. And like, we both clip our fists and then like he stayed next to his friend and he moved here, I'm over here. And then I punch his friend. Right. I said, ha ha. And I run away, you know, and you might be, well, you know, I, I, you know, he's like, you agreed to fight me. This kid didn't agree to fight you, but you know, I don't care who agreed me. I wanted to punch him. I did it. That, and I got away with it. So, you know, yeah. so that's, that's exactly like, like, like if, if, if two people agree to fight, right. And then. Yeah, and then and then one of them does something, and they're like, "No, that's outside the rules of fighting." Um, that that just seems to me like a, a made up thing that somebody said because that's what they were expecting. 
But how can there even be rules of fighting? Like, I mean, I get that there can be if you're in a professional boxing match or something. Um, but if you have like genuine animosity towards one another, um, we can. I mean, we have many social norms, and they're often regarding fighting. In fact, they are especially regarding fighting. I think, yes, we have many social norms regarding fighting. Sure, I think that um, you can say that um, um, there are norms, like there are restrictions, like don't go for the eyes or something. Um, uh, uh, there, there are restrictions that we generally agree to socially, but there's something very different that you're saying when you're saying it's not fair. You're sort of saying there are norms internal to fighting, that it's not a proper fight. Well, I think when we refer to norms, we do refer to the idea that they are the right norms. I mean, we usually treat our norms as if they were good norms, they were the right norms. They aren't just random norms we happen to have. They, they are, they're good norms. They are the appropriate norms. They are functional, helpful norms. Right, but I, I think there's a difference between the norms internal to an activity and external norms that we generally have. So, like with baseball, right, if you were to only run on two of the bases instead of three, um, that would not be a fair way of playing, I think there's three, right, or four? Anyway, you N minus one. I mean, you skipped one of the bases, right? Um, uh, and, uh, and that would not be fair, right? But if you, like, punch someone during the game or shot them with a gun, you'd be violating, like, the laws of the land. You'd be breaking a different sort of law. Um, uh, and it it seems to me that we treat the laws of a fair fight as though they were internal, as though it was, like, the rules of baseball. Um, instead of saying, we want to put some restrictions on fighting because we don't want it to go too far. Wait, I think some norms are just independent of the situation, and then there are other norms that are depending on a situation. So I think we just have norms that are more invoked. They, they show up in a certain situation. And you have to have some context that says the situation is the appropriate situation to invoke this norm. And, and it wouldn't make as much sense in other situations. So is the thought, let's say, with sarcasm, that like it's appropriate in certain situations, maybe for certain people of the relevant level of eliteness and ability to be funny? So, so for example, I think we have norms about what it's appropriate to say as to a stranger on the street or somebody you've had no interactions with, right? I think we might say it's appropriate to ask for directions or to politely, you know, praise their dress or something like that. But there'd be some other conversational moves that would just seem to be rude and inappropriate to approach somebody of the stranger on the street, but they might be appropriate moves in a conversation after it had gotten going for a while and you've established yeah, a relationship. That seems to me to cut across the sarcasm, non-sarcasm, because I can imagine, like, you could sarcastically be like, yeah, nice weather we're having, huh? Like, when the weather is actually terrible, right? That is, you'd be permitted to use sarcasm. Right, but not directed at them, perhaps. So, so I think, like, starting a fight with a stranger on the street. Would... Oh, sure, sure. But sarcasm, like, I think is almost never directed at the person. Like, it's almost always this this sidelong glance, uh, you know, you're, or like, you're, you're, it's a glancing blow performed for another audience um I, okay let me let me let me throw a, a case at you that you might think is not related so but i was you know we did a podcast on utopia and it was striking me that actually a lot and i had some examples that i can't remember now um but a bunch of descriptions of utopias are actually oh like swift or something you know gulliver's travels descriptions of utopias are actually satire. They're like, as though this were a utopia, right? The good right. 
that too. Yeah. Um, so it, one of the prominent ways in which utopia gets presented to us is in a satirical mode um, in which we're supposed to be like, actually, this is the opposite of, of a utopia. And I was thinking that like maybe satire is similar to sarcasm. It's just like on a bigger scale. And so we can think about when do we have satire? Um, and like it, 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 it strikes me that it may be that this is like a way that we manage a concept that we need, but that we don't know how to directly put before us. Like we have trouble saying what a utopia is, but we have less trouble sarcastically saying what a utopia isn't. Right. So I think satire and sarcasm are often exaggeration. And I think sometimes we accept an exaggeration if after some presentation, we sort of recognize a pattern that we think probably does apply in the real world. So let me take the example of somebody who's macho, say, and, you know, really proud of their sports car. And so one common satire is they feel inadequate and they have a small penis or whatever. And that sort of depiction of them as insecure, uh, you, you know, could be an exaggeration, uh, but it's a satire that you might recognize and go, yeah, but there's some truth in that. And then you kind of accept it as an acceptable satire if you kind of recognize that, yeah, these people are do seem a bit insecure. They're not maybe being insecure in the exaggerated way the satire depicts. But so it's like a caricature. Yes, for tune. And but then the purpose of a caricature or cartoon is often in fiction is to make an exaggerated version of something that lets you see a pattern that you wouldn't otherwise see, mm -hmm. and then you know, infer back to the more mild versions of it, that they probably also exist and, you know, are useful to think about. So, like, I feel like there's, like, a constant war between the people, the, 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 everyone's general inclination for things to be simple and to grasp the thing via its simple presentation, and then everyone always being like, actually, it's more complicated and there's all these complexities. Yes, indeed. To it. Um, and... Um, so like the question about then about the appropriateness of sarcasm, at least in this in the exaggerated cartoon cartooning caricature form would just be, is this an occasion in which such a simplification is acceptable? Yes, and it's usually acceptable to make more simplifications of one's rivals and enemies than the one's allies. So uh, that's a common you know, issue in political discussion. People are often offering these simplified cartoon versions of their enemies. You know, the, the caricature racist and the caricature sexist or the caricature progressive. And right. whenever people see something that fits that pattern, they like to point to the exaggerated version of it. And many memes are kind of based on that exaggerated version of a character. Right. So like, like, um, you know, Leon Cass has this idea about like the wisdom of repugnance that sometimes we recoil from something and our disgust reflects like a deeper wisdom that we have that goes below, beyond our reason that this is like really unacceptable. And you might think that sarcasm is the attempt to tap into that, something like that, right? Getting people to recoil without thinking from something, tapping into some aspect of it that allows them to recoil from it. Um, and um, that 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 
in, uh, you know, that at least some people believe, I, I don't believe this, but some people believe, well, sometimes that's the, appro the appropriate thing is not to think about it, but is to look at a sort of caricatured version of it, a simple version of it, and to see that those simple features give you a reason not to think about it any further, but just to dismiss it. Right. So um, let's take a concrete example of the recent FTX, you know, stole money. And, you know, uh, it, if you were, as I actually was recently involved in an internal conversation in some organization who gets this money and you, you say, you know, you should give it back, you know, you, you might be trying to help people in their mind see the caricature of the situation, how other people from the outside would see it. And, you know, in some sense, help them see it through sarcasm of like, you know, you got stolen money and you're going to not give it back. You know, well, what does that look like to you? And, you know, to say, well, yeah, you see all the complications, but like, why don't just see it from a distance here and see how other people will see this as maybe a way to, because often, you know, it's not just useful, you know, simplified versions do give you insight in things, but they also especially give you insight into how other people will see things. Right. So it uh, maybe it, would, it allows you to detach from the features of the situation that pertain to you specifically, where you're going to be inclined to blow those ones up like, oh, but think about what I could do with this money or how I could help people with this money or whatever. And you want to get them to attend to different features of it, like this is stolen money. Um, and... Um, and so you're using sarcasm to reorient them in relation to the phenomenon. Right. You're, you're trying to say some elements are just primary here. And if we just focus on those and ignore the rest, maybe that is useful. And maybe that's how many other people will see it. Maybe it's how you should see if it's some moral principle or something. Right. But also, like, I could imagine doing all of that without sarcasm. That is, be like, look, let me simplify the situation. Here's what's really going on. But it seems to me that to get back to our element of four fighting, which I still think is a good analysis of sarcasm, that um, uh, that that part of what's going on is that you are putting yourself in an adversarial like position in relation to the group by telling them you guys are a bunch of thieves. And so you're trying to do that in a way that has a bit of a joke with it so that like it doesn't blow up into an all out fight. But and you might be warning them that if they keep going in this direction, they might re hit hit a real fight. And, you know, that, that might be a, a way of foreshadowing a fight by right. putting it in a fight-style discussion. Right. So you're, like, warning them that a fight is coming, not even necessarily with you, but with others. And so maybe the case against against sarcasm would be, suppose we agree for the moment that this, we may not, this may not, you know, um, hold water, but that sarcasm is for fighting is a form of for fighting i bet there are other forms um that uh that it's a verbal form right and then there's a question do we ever actually do we need to do verbal for fighting like what if we just what if we just get to the fight <laughs> um because that's my view like let's just have the fight you know let's just figure out what's right and just directly have the fight and not avert it through this little dance whereas like with foreplay you know, I mean, that sounds fun. It's play, right? Do I want sex without foreplay? No, let's have the foreplay too. But, uh, you know, or foreplay for conversation, okay. Um, but it seems to me like for fighting could just be eliminable and we could just have the fighting.
I mean, so like the idea with the animal displays is that the fighting is much more destructive than the trying to show who can jump higher or yell louder. And it's cheaper, less destructive to do the four fight. And if the four fight can prevent the fight, then that's better than the fight. The fight is damaging. So that's, but that's just what I think is wrong. I think that the fight is productive and all the stuff you do instead of the fight, including physical fighting, which doesn't resolve the actual underlying issue, which is that you disagree about something. Even physical fighting is just for fighting relative to the ideas if you're fighting over ideas, right? And so I feel like we just do way too much for fighting. And if we, and once we get to the resolving of the ideas, nobody gets hurt in that part in the real fight. I just don't think most people see it that way. Certainly most animals in the wild don't see it that way, right? Well, animals in the wild, on this view, can't fight. They can't do real fighting because real fighting is fighting over ideas and animals okay. can't talk to each other, so they oh. can't fight about ideas. Okay, but the fights they can have are pretty damaging, so they right. help so them live away to avoid that. So yeah, I would, I would recommend sarcasm to animals, right? If they could do sarcasm, absolutely, right? Like for fighting makes sense when the fighting is more destructive than the for fighting. But my claim is that, at least in many contexts, the fight would be um, the battle, if insofar as it's a battle over ideas, it would be less destructive than the for fight, which hurts people's feelings and doesn't resolve the intellectual issue. I mean, just most people are willing to win quote unquote votes that don't resolve the intellectual issue. That's just a pretty common human phenomenon. They're happy to. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I mean, but, you know, they're happy to have their side win the city council vote or they're happy to have, you know, their spouse not go out somewhere they didn't want them to go out. I mean, people are just fighting over various things that happen in their lives and they want to win those fights and they don't that much care what ideas they represent necessarily if they can win the fights. I disagree that they're happy. I think they're happy for a very short time and then they need to like win something else because that th there's not been any real winning. It's like a symbol of winning and people are satisfied with symbols for like only a little bit of time. And that there's something really, really satisfying when you actually understand something. And you can even turn out to be wrong. You can even be defeated. But when you actually understand it, you okay, see so no appeal of going back to your old position and trying to win. So I think you recently saw Andor. Yes. So we can see Andor depiction of this terrible bureaucracy that the rebels live under and our hero lives under as an exaggerated satire. I, I think, you know, the factory floor that guy sits in does not look terribly productive as a factory floor. And it seems like, you know, there's a bunch of ways in which they've exaggerated this repressive environment, uh, but they do it for this sort of rhetorical effect of making you at least be able to see that sometimes you might rebel. I mean, Andor yeah, I, helps you see why you might, there would be some situations where you'd really hate the empire and really want to rebel, even if it's not very realistic. Right. So like, I think the idea of like the fight between good and evil, it's, it's sort of like we, we designated one side as evil. They have no good ideas. That's all that's in the premise, right? <laughs> it's been, it's just been presupposed that there's nothing to actually fight. over. So that's the fundamental presupposition of all of Star Wars is there is nothing to fight over. There's no difference of ideas. The bad guys have no ideas. They have nothing that's possibly of any intellectual value, nothing of any organizational value. There's nothing to learn from them, right? Uh, we, ju we just kind of smush them. 
So we just have to have like a genocidal intention in relation to um, the the dark side. And then we need to like feel good about our genocidal intentions. So we'll make them like really big and powerful and like have really mean looking and stuff so that we can like be genocidal towards them. But that's like, that's a car itself a caricature or a satire or something of a fight. In a real fight, your opponent tends to be like a person with ideas who thinks that they're right about something and they're probably, there is something that they're onto in thinking what they're thinking. And insofar as you cast them just as evil, um, you have caricatured them and you're missing something about them. It's just a presupposition of Star Wars. You're not missing anything about the about the dark side if you think they that there's absolutely no value in anything they think or say. That's just that's just given. But that's just almost to say that there's no nothing to fight over. So I think it might be fun for you and I to consider sarcastic descriptions of academics and intellectuals arguing <laughs> with each other. Right. So when a someone not very sympathetic to academia or at least critical of academia wants to depict academics supposedly having these deep debates about real issues, uh, they depict them as mainly focused on pride, say, and you know, uh, I'm the big shot and you're up, you know, you're trying to up, you know, take my position away and I'm going to defend my big shot position or, you know, uh, they depict academics as having really quite shallow selfish motives for their intellectual debates, doing that sarcastically in a way that then many people can recognize as perhaps a theory they find plausible about academics, <laughs> which then reduces their respect for interest in listening to academics. Uh, that's a thing that happens. And often they're really quite funny, actually. I've, I've laughed at such things. I I tend to think they're really mean. <laughs> they're yes, they're they're both mean and funny, but that's kind of the nature of you know meanness is often funny. I mean that's why we let people get away with it, and often marginal groups like academics are in some sense we're okay to be mean to them, especially <laughs> high marginal groups. They're, yeah. they're small and they're presumed high, so they're in a valid target, right? Right. Certainly, a lot of sarcastic depictions of teachers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I hear it. I hear it from my kids about their teachers at school. Um, uh, I'm sure I would hear it from my students if I were right. uh, a fly on the wall. Um, um, yeah. Um, okay. But so, yes, there. I, I'm not sure what I was supposed to um, conclude from or from this fact that there are sarcastic descriptions of academics. Well, that is, um, you know, we can present, we try to present ourselves in this noble way. Yeah. And there are these other less noble depictions of us that people use sarcasm to make vivid. And this yeah. is a function of sarcasm is helping people to see and envision simplified, unflattering views of certain characters, right? They characterize us. Yeah, but like, I guess I, I think there are real questions about the value of what academics are doing, about what kinds of conversations we're having with one another and which kinds should we be having. All of that is avoided by the incredulous stare, right? That is, we can't, I can't engage with that. Like, okay, they're doing this caricature, but that's not, that's not helpful to me. Um, nor do I know how to respond to it. Like, I guess if I were that teacher, the good teacher in the fifth grade classroom or something, I could like say something appropriately mocking that would then quiet it down and then, you know, use that as an opportunity for having a real conversation. But, um, I, I, otherwise, like, 
I, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to get from it. Well, I, I mean, we're, we're just reviewing some of the functions of sarcasm. And I mean, this is just confirming our previous discussion. Many times people want to be able to see a sort of unflattering view of people and then end the, end the conversation. They don't necessarily want to go further into your defense of academics or whatever. They, they want to sort of settle the issue right then and go on to other things. And this lets them do that. I have this, um, uh, one of my columns from for the point is about how art is for seeing evil. And so maybe sarcasm is also for seeing evil. Um, that is, art, it is kind of artistic, right? Right. Um, it's like a little mini, uh, little micro art um, that does something in an artful way. And then because you're in that artistic context, what's now permitted is to show the viciousness of something. So what one just seen came to mind um, in Indiana Jones, uh, probably the first movie, I can't remember which, but there's this wonderful scene where, um, you know, they're in some town and they're about to have a fight and people come out with their knives and our hero pulls out a gun and shoots and, you know, it, that's over, right? You'd be like, that's not a fair fight. <laughs> right, but, but it's sarcasm about previous movie scenes where, you know, when you see two sides with knives, you just presume, okay, that's the status of this fight. I guess, you know, we'll see who wins with the knives. And, you know, it's saying we're just making these arbitrary presumptions. Or, um, you know, there's just all these ways in which, like, there are these tropes. And then sarcasm lets you see the trope and lets you recognize it for maybe being somewhat arbitrary. Right. Right. But that is just a way of seeing like, oh, there's this silly trope. That is, you're seeing that you're not just recognizing it, you're dismissing it or seeing it as bad. Right. But it helps us understand there are in fact many silly tropes out there. <laughs> and often it's hard to like expose them or really make them clear of silly. And like sarcasm is often a very effective way to just show how silly they are in a way that lets you dismiss them quickly, effectively, because people go, oh yeah, that, you know, that is silly. But why wouldn't you just be able to be like, here's a trope without being sarcastic? Well, because it's a lot more entertaining and funny to make fun of it, right? So uh, we, I mean, in some sense, we enjoy like dumping on things, right? So certainly on Twitter a lot. I mean, basically, when you could just criticize, you could on one hand just have a fair criticism that people say, or you could like have a fun dumping where you are sarcastically showing their faults. And then we can all enjoy how much we agree that this is silly and worthy of derision. And we get to laugh and feel camaraderie because not only is it wrong, it's, it's silly wrong. But we can pretend like it, it should never have been taken seriously. And there it was, it was never justified in even being in the category of things we should have considered because it's just so obviously wrong. Okay, but then that's just a matter of like, we're holding, um, we're doing, the sarcasm is like the entertainment glue that like glues this thing to your attention or something. But it, it, it and, and there is this point about the simple tropes exist. And then I get you to pay attention to that by making it entertaining in a certain way. Right, but I also like, I meet a higher standard of dismissal in some sense, right? I, I can lower this thing more by meeting a higher standard. Not only can I rebut it, 
I can do it in a simple, fun way that just makes it obvious all at once that this is silly. I'm inclined to think that what's fun about it is that you're showing the badness of something in an artistic way. That it, what's fun, maybe what's fun about it is a lot like what's fun about art. Is we just, we get to look, normally you don't get to look at badness, like, and really concentrate on it. And we get, sarcasm allows us, it indulges us in that, in that sick passion that we have for looking at bad stuff. Right. So this is, I mean, this is interesting about like stereotypes and humor. That is, humor just generally gets a lot of leverage out of making exaggerated stereotypes of things. And then we've got a bunch of like groups of people we've decided nobody's allowed to give exaggerated stereotypes of. And now the scope for humor is declining, but then they're always going, well, you got to give us somebody that we're allowed to make exaggerated stereotypes of. And I thought, oh, maybe the rich or maybe Republicans or whatever. And then we got this world where only some people are allowed to be the target of exaggerated humorous stereotypes. And there's a bunch of things that are crossed off, although you're going to have increasing, you know, somebody's going to, wouldn't it be fun to take them down too? I think it'll just be a matter of scale levels there though, too. So like if you're good, right. you can make anybody, but it's just getting right. the bar for a skill goes, goes up. Um, we should probably stop because we're at an hour. Yes, that's true. But nice talking.